So I grew up um, a few miles outside of Gig Harbor, Washington. I guess my address was Gig Harbor, but it's a little bit outside, way in the woods. Actually, uh, if you went there today where my old house is, it's surrounded by other houses, but it wasn't. When I was a kid, we had 1,200 acres of forestry land for our backyard. Pretty cool, huh? Especially when you're a 13-year-old with a Honda XR100 trail bike. There were just, I, I don't know, I used to say hundreds of miles, but I'm probably have a 13-year-old memory on that. There were just lots of miles of logging roads back behind my house. And I had a best friend who lived about four miles down the road, and we would every weekend be riding our dirt bikes on these trails. We had explored almost all the trails until we came to one that went to a dead end. And at the dead end of this trail was a wire cable, and on the other side of that cable was a grass airfield. Like, it wasn't in any published thing that I knew about. It must have been somebody's private airstrip. And uh, right next to that wire cable was a sign. I remember it vividly. A big white sign which in red letters said, No trespassing on top, beware of dog on the bottom, and in the middle had a black head of a dog, like a big fat pit bull head with a spiky collar. You know, the typical beware of dog kind of sign. Well, the sign stopped us for a few minutes. We threw rocks at the sign, did other things to the sign, and then... Then the lure of the airfield and being able to just go full throttle as long as we wanted to, we got to the other side, just sucked us in. So we went around the cable and rode on this airfield weekend after weekend, never had any trouble. Until one day, my chain came off. I went over a bump and, you know, happens when you ride motorcycles, my chain came off. So there I am with greasy hands and I hear the sound of hell. This barking. And I look, there's this black thing hopping. 200 yards away, and I never put my chain on so fast. Scrambling, scrambling, I, I, I rip out of there so fast, I never came back. Now, that sign, the white sign with the red letters and the black face of a dog, actually meant something, didn't it? It represented a reality greater than itself. We've been in John's Gospel for weeks now, months actually, and we've seen lots of signs that Jesus is doing and John is trying to show us that these things Jesus are doing are signs because they, they have meaning in themselves, but they point to a greater reality. So here's some examples. In the second chapter of John, Jesus is at a wedding and he, uh, the wedding party runs out of wine. So what does he do? He turns water into wine. And when we preached on that, we, we, we understood how Jesus really cared about that young couple. You know, we never even learn that couple's name in all of Scripture, but Jesus cares about the small things that matter to us. He provides this couple with wine. He spares them all the shame that they would have had from running out of wine. But John tells us that this miracle, this sign, is more than just an event. It's more than just water to wine. Wine throughout Scripture represents the kingdom of God. One of the metaphors of the kingdom is there's a big table with food and wine flowing and God's going to be there and everyone who is in His kingdom who trusts in Jesus Christ will be around this table. So the sign of the water turning to wine is also significant that with Jesus, the kingdom is breaking in, right? So there's a sign that points to a greater reality. In John chapter 5, which Jen just read, there's a lame man by the pool of Bethesda. Jesus heals this lame man. Why? He loves the guy. But, is there something more going on? He says to the man, go, 
And sin no more that nothing worse happens to you. Do you know what's worse than being lame in life? Not having eternal life that Jesus provides. He's, his, his healing is a sign to something greater. Jesus fed 5,000 people in the wilderness. Why? They were hungry. But also because it's a sign that Jesus is the bread of life. We need Him to survive. Last week, we encountered Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now our text this morning is right after Jesus says these words. It's right after he's in the temple for the Feast of Tabernacles. He comes out of the temple and he encounters a blind man. Sounds like the perfect setup for a sign, doesn't it? Well, let's find out. Would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? It says John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spit on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which when translated means scent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who were previously with him and saw him as a beggar were saying, Is this not the one who used to sit and beg? And others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, Nah, it's just a guy like him. He kept saying, No, I'm the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. You may be seated. Jesus, my prayer, besides not losing my voice to this sermon, is that you would open our eyes like you've opened the blind man's eyes. Open our eyes, God, to see what you are doing among us, to see what's happening in your word. We want to see you, to be in on what you're doing. Lord, we confess that so many of the things that we think and do keep us from seeing. We need you to break into our world. You are the light of the world. Jesus, we want to encounter you. Have mercy. Amen. So Jesus, the light of the world, is passing by with his disciples. He sees a man who can't see. The light of the world encounters a man who has not seen light for his entire life. The man was born blind. Now this guy's life would have been just a, a monotonous exercise in survival. In Jesus' culture, 
they didn't have special services like we do. They didn't have Braille on ATMs. They didn't have ATM, right? But they didn't have Braille and stuff like that. You're pretty much a social outcast if you were a man or a woman born blind. So what you had to do to survive was beg. And people would sit outside the gates of the temple where folks would come and give their alms. They would give gifts. That's how he made his living. He would have been viewed with some suspicion, maybe even contempt by the average person who didn't have a, a, a unique blindness or lameness like this guy had. And here's why. In fact, the disciples betray the reason why. The disciples want to know the reason he's born blind. They want to know the cause of this man's affectedness. They have only room for two answers. Because in the first century there was a popular theory that those born blind or those with lameness or any other kind of uniqueness were that way because either their parents sinned or they somehow sinned. Now this is crazy. Even in the womb. And I think they get this from uh, Jacob and Esau wrestling in the womb. It's, isn't it sound pretty crazy, right? So like this guy, they actually believe, could have sinned in his mom's womb, and this is why he's born blind. Notice how close-minded and extremely dehumanizing that view is. What if something like that happened to you? What if one of your children were born blind? Or lame. And everybody who was normal, quote unquote, thought you must have done something wrong. Or that your child had done something wrong. How is it that the, only these two views exist? It's crazy. The idea of sin being the cause of a person's blindness or lameness or mental illness or whatever, it's only a decent theory or a decent view if you are what kind of person? If you're a healthy person, if you're a wealthy person, if you're a person of means, a person of stature. Basically, it's a good theory if people can't look at you and wonder what you did wrong. Right? Now, Jesus makes short work of their theological question. He gets to the main issue. The issue isn't the blind man's sin or the, the blind man's parents' sin. The issue is sin in general. See, when people rebelled against God in the very beginning of human history, sin entered the world, corrupted everything. The whole creation. People, plants, animals, rocks, water, all of it is God's creation. And He declared that it is good. The people are very good. In fact, the Christian perspective believes that all creation, even today, is good, but corrupted because of evil that entered the world when we rebelled. So, the blind man wasn't blind because of a specific sin. He's probably blind because... His genetic code got mixed up when his cells were splitting as an embryo, right? It just happens because our world is no longer Eden. Sin has entered the world. Now, the great hope is that one day Jesus will return, bringing his kingdom, righting everything that's wrong, recreating everything that's broken, and things will be better than we can possibly imagine. 
And don't get me started. That's a completely no another sermon. I just love... This is my hope. Do you, I hope this comes out. This is why Letter Streets is here. This is why the church exists. Because we stand in the gap with the best news in the entire world. That even though you are here today, maybe you're broken about something. But God promises to fix the brokenness. One day, it will all be made right. Wow, that's awesome. Now the problem with our theories about why this happens to some people and not to others is that we are stuck in a fallen system. Our perspective is all off. If we rely just on our own experience, our own experience is false. What we need is something or someone from outside of our fallen world. We need someone to come and show us the way, like maybe the light of the world who comes from heaven to show us what is real and true. Now, it doesn't make sense why bad things happen to people. Why this one's born into riches and this one into poverty. Why this one into health and this one into disease. It doesn't make sense from our perspective. But from a heavenly perspective, every single one of us is a walking, living, breathing opportunity for God's glory to be revealed. Amen? Why? Because John's point here is that every single one of us is born blind. Ooh, every single one of us is in some way born blind, unable to see necessarily reality as it really is. We all need the light of Jesus. Now, much more importantly than the theological question of why the man was born blind, is the lesson Jesus wants to tell us about our theology should inform our action. It should bring glory to God. G.I. Packer, in almost every class that he starts, he always says, Theology is for doxology. Theology is for the praise of God. We think good thoughts, rigorous thoughts about God. But we have a problem if we keep up in our heads. And we don't apply what we learn. So God help us if Letter Street's Covenant Church, if we just come here to hear good facts about Jesus, but don't then become good news about Jesus, that's a problem. The problem with the disciples is, they probably don't even see the blind man. Jesus sees the blind man. Now the disciples, they probably would have just walked right by, because people like that, they aren't very noticeable. But Jesus notices the blind man, he has compassion on him, and the disciples, all they see is a theological question. They just want to know why. They don't care about helping him, they don't mention anything about doing anything with the guy. They just want to have their curiosity piqued. Jesus is compassionate. He has mercy on the man and heals him. Now check this out. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is from the beginning. That He is with God. That He is God. That all of creation, you and me included, were made through Jesus. Does anyone recall what the first human being, Adam, was made out of in Genesis chapter 2? It was fashioned out of dust. 
Now, if you've ever worked with dust, it's kind of hard to fashion anything out of. In fact, most scholars think that it's, it's more like clay, a wet, dirt substance. In fact, Adam means God, uh, earth man. It's earth man, created from the earth out of clay. He made us from dust. So here's a sign for you. Jesus makes clay. Puts it on a blind man's eyes to heal him. Is this just a sign? Or is it something more? Is it just a no trespassing sign with a picture of a dog? Or is there really this junkyard dog trying to chase Chris down? What else could it mean? Well, let me try this on you. Could it mean that the original creator is able to heal blind eyes and make them see? Could it mean something like the fulfillment of Isaiah 35, which we read in our call to worship, that one day God would return and open blind eyes? Could it mean that the light of the world has come down from heaven to do the impossible, to open blind spiritual eyes, to open all of our eyes to the reality that the kingdom is breaking in? Because Jesus has broken in. See, John keeps on presenting us with these signs that Jesus has done. And he wants us to decide, is it just a healing or is it something more? You have to decide. Seriously, I'm, I'm serious. You have to. That's what John is putting it here for. That's why we keep reading about these signs. John wants us to decide and to do something about our decision. Now... Notice how Jesus tells the man, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now think about the scripture that Jen read just minutes earlier from John 5. Doesn't this story sound vaguely familiar to the lame man who was sitting by a pool in John chapter 5? I don't believe for a second that it's an accident that John the Gospel writer included both of these stories. In fact, I believe John wants us to look at them side by side. Holly, I'm going to ask you to just put that first slide up. We look at some of the similarities here. Both men were in a, uh, the context of a Jewish festival. The lame man from Passover, the blind man from the Feast of Tabernacles. Both of them had a physical illness. John tells us both about both of the length of their illness. The lame man was ill for 38 years. The blind man, blind from birth. Both of them include uh, stories about water, Pool of Bethesda. Oops, that's supposed to be Pool of Siloam for the other one. Both of them had the healing initiated by Jesus. Jesus knew about their ailments. He heals instantly. This isn't, hey, take these pills and you should get better in a week or a month. You guys are healed on the same day that Jesus encounters them. They are both interrogated by the Jewish leaders, which comes later on in chapter 9. And then after this interrogation, Jesus finds them both. Thanks, Holly. That's, that's good for now. So the man comes back seeing, totally transformed. In fact, the people who knew him, who hung out with him, said, Could this even be the same guy? I mean, that's how it is with Jesus. He can make us unrecognizable by the way He transforms us. Not always on the outside. But he transforms us on the inside as well. Someone who knows something about transformation is Jeannie Wagner. And I've asked Jeannie to come share a little bit of her testimony with us. 
Because it's good to hear from the people. Thank you, Jeannie. I was sexually abused by my father when I was very young. I took on the feelings of great shame, guilt, and being dirty. And that song, I knew, did not mean me. My dad and mom, mom had her own issues, were not safe. Life was not safe. To survive, I created my own reality. And I lived in this invisible bubble where nobody could touch me. What didn't happen as I grew up was coming out of that bubble, and it didn't serve me well as a grown-up. And have lived most of my life as an, as an adult, as a scared little girl. I gave my life back to the Lord nine and a half years ago, and have not been the same since. Thank you, Jesus. I had buried the memory so deeply that I had no memory of the abuse, but Jesus arranged, through a friend, to consider the fact that I had been sexually abused by my dad, started counseling, was given memories, and the healing began. Once the wounds had started to be healed by Jesus, he enabled me to start forgiving my dad. What this looked like was that I confronted my dad with what he had done to me, wanting, hoping he would show me that he loved me enough to confess to me. I also wanted him to be able to, um, <laughs> to be free of the horrible guilt he must have. And for him to be able to confess to Jesus and know Jesus' loving forgiveness didn't happen. Dad denied that he'd ever sexually touched me, telling me I was full of Satan. My mom and dad actually started attacking me, spreading lies to my brother and sister, saying I was having an affair. I was shocked and deeply hurt by their reaction. This happened in 2002. Over time, because I believe Jesus asked me to, I became willing to be around my mom and dad having a minimal relationship. I had been freed by Jesus from most of the unhealthy bonds between my dad and myself. So when I heard he had bladder cancer and treatment wasn't working and that he would die in the near future, I did not feel much regret at the thought of losing my dad. When mom called and said that he didn't have much longer to live, my brother, Emily, my daughter, and went down to be with them. I was not sure how I would feel when I saw him. Thank you, Jesus. I was able to be the comforter to my mom, brother, and daughter. Jesus also enabled me to be able to help mom take care of him, to actually touch his body. When I saw him, it became really clear that during the dying process, all people come to the same place. Where are they with Jesus? He was an unhappy, miserable man, and I discovered that I really did want him to know how loved he was by Jesus. Mom and I took turns getting up during the night to give him his comfort meds. I heard Mom's alarm go off at 2 in the morning, and she slept through it, so I got up. I noticed that a change had happened. There was a sense of peace about my dad. It was like he'd stopped struggling. As a case manager for Visiting Angels, I had been with clients who were close to death and even been there when they died, and not all had this peace about them. I gave him the meds and went back to bed. He died by the time I got up a few hours later. Jesus, let me see him at peace. My mom <laughs> isn't safe. 
She hasn't changed and is not someone I share my personal life with. But I have been able to develop a relationship with her where I am able to be me, Jeannie, around her. It amazes me, but I actually have taken on a more protective role towards my mom and find that I have been able to accept my mom for who she is with all of her stuff and not be threatened. My mom and I talk about Jesus, and there are times when she seems to really even listen to me. And the biggest compliment of all she's ever given me was when she recently told me that she doesn't know who I am anymore. And that is a very good thing. Hmm. I know what she's seen. She's seen the genie I was created to be, the woman Jesus is calling out. I, I seem to sometimes be safe to her, and she is able to come out of her own created reality and be more open with me. Sometimes she even shares her heart with me. Amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jeannie. Who is this woman? Jeannie? Or someone like her? That's what Jesus can do when he gets hold of a life. Become unrecognizable. The blind man and the lame man and genie and many of you transformed. But I want us to take another look at our two witnesses. I want us to take a look at the blind man and the lame man one more time to see something I think John wants us to see. Their story's so familiar. Both men are witnesses to being transformed. But it's their response to this transformation that separates them. Holly, the second slide. The lame man is healed of his lameness. But he loves the praise of people. And he loves the honor of the Jewish leaders. And he turns Jesus in continues in darkness and at that point in the scripture the religious leaders are bent on destroying Jesus the blind man on the other hand also received healing transformation physical healing when he's interrogated he stands up to the Pharisees he's cast out of the synagogue he sees but he also sees that he needs eternal life in Jesus. By the end of chapter 9, this man worships Jesus. He is the first person in the Gospel of John to worship Jesus. The difference between the two men, that the lame man took what Jesus gave him, the healing, and thought that he was fine. He thought that his old system of life was good enough. He's just like the people in John chapter 6 who take the bread that Jesus gives in the wilderness but reject the bread giver. The man born blind receives his sight but he also trusts in Jesus for everything. If this man can heal my sight, what can't he do?
with healing, with healing comes responsibility. With healing comes responsibility. Listen, listen to Jesus' words from verse 4. We, plural, we must work the works of Him who sent me. As long as it is day, night's coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus includes His disciples in His special mission. We must work the works of God. We must work the works that Jesus was sent for. What is that? To proclaim the good news that the kingdom is breaking in. That we proclaim this good news in word and in deed. When he puts the clay on the blind man's eyes, where does Jesus send him? The pool of Siloam. Now John, most of his audience is probably Greek-speaking. So he translates this word Siloam, which in Hebrew means sent. All through John's Gospel, John has been telling us that Jesus is what? Sent from the Father. He's sent from heaven. Jesus all over. Even We're only nine chapters in and sent, sent, sent. Jesus is sent. And now he's calling his disciples to be sent. Jeannie understands that she is sent. That's why she can even try and make amends in the grace of God. The father who hurt her and a mother who almost more painfully denies that hurt. That's why Jeannie, you'll see several times a month at Lighthouse Mission, giving of herself for people who don't think they're worth much. Helping lead the men there in worship. Jeannie acts and speaks with the love of Christ because her healing wasn't just for her. And neither is ours. Now for those of us who have been touched by Jesus, who have been in some way healed, we are also sent by Him. Jesus, the light of the world, says to all who follow Him in Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill, it can't be hidden. And nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. But out on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine in such a way that people will see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Jesus, the light of the world, sent to save, saves us and sends us. Awesome. How might it look for you to live and speak the good news of Jesus this week? Who could you be praying for? Who could you encourage this week? You possess the hope of the ages. You realize that. I possess the hope of the ages. Are we willing to share it? Are we willing to share it? For those of you who are here this evening and you might, hey, you might think, I feel blind. I need healing really badly. I am not ready to be sent. Jesus stands ready with open arms 
to give you sight, to help you see into belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I don't think it's by accident that we're gathered here this evening. The scriptures tell us we can't even look for God without the Father drawing us first. So guess what? God's working in your life. Do you see Him? Do you see Him? Let us pray. Jesus, light of the world, thank you for coming and breaking into darkness. Thank you for your gospel, this very word that illuminates our lives, God. That helps us to see the truth. That yes, we are broken. That yes, we are blind. Yes, Lord, many of us have, have turned to other forms of comfort and salvation. Savings accounts. Substance abuse. Stuff. Harmful relationships. Academics. Athletics. There is no end to the idols that we often put before you. Thank you for confronting us, Jesus. Thank you, Good Shepherd, for showing us that you and you alone can heal and save and give us eternal life. Jesus, my prayer, our prayer, is that for those of us who are comfortable, that you would afflict us with a burden to be sent. Those of us whom you have healed and are healing right now, you would give us a heart to share that good news with other people, as appropriate in word and deed. And Lord, for those of us who are here, and those of us who are unable to be here because we just need healing, have mercy, Lord. Open blind eyes. Renew the strength of lame legs. Loosen the tongue of a deaf mouth. We put our trust in you, Lord. And look forward to your kingdom coming in full. In the meantime, we are your sent ones. Holy Spirit, help us in this task. Amen.